work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.
Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you today on this beautiful, bright, sunny day. Welcome to worship. If this is your first time here, we are thrilled to have you join us. You can find the link to the order of service in our live stream feed. And if you would like to receive the order of service, you can sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Flame, which you can also find the link for in the order of service and in our live stream feed. So we're thrilled to have you here this morning. You're also invited to join us for a Zoom coffee hour following the service. Uh, where you can connect with members of our community for conversation and to get to know us and to get to know us better and us to get to know you. You'll find the link for the uh, Zoom coffee hour in the live stream feed and uh, Joe Chapeau will be including it in the chat in our live stream feed towards the end of the service. As I say when I'm here preaching, that worship is a collective endeavor. And I want to thank today's worship makers who are here with us this morning. Today's Sexton, Thomas Brown. To Alex Starr, who is hosting our Zoom coffee hour following the service, as I said, which you are most welcome to attend. To Joe Chapeau, who is managing our live stream chat and to Carrie Steer Salazar for these beautiful flowers this morning, given in the memory of Ruth Given Smith by Thad and Lucy Smith. To our incredible tech crew, Jonathan Silk, Shu Leong, and Mark and Eric Shackelford, and today's musicians, Larry Chin, Asher Davidson, and Mark Sumner. We are thrilled to have our wonderful worship team with us this morning. I just wanna say a little bit about today's music. Uh, in preparing for today's worship, I asked our musicians to choose music that makes them come alive. And I'm thrilled with the music they selected and I hope you will enjoy it too. As we have since the start of the pandemic, we've lit this blue candle as a symbol of our gathered community. We light it this morning until such time as we can gather together again. And I invite you now to join us in our opening hymn number 12, O Life That Maketh All Things New. See 
please join me in saying the words of our unison chalice lighting. The words are printed in your order of service. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Again, I want to welcome you here this morning. We have a few brief announcements. If you've just arrived, uh, welcome. Uh, you can find the link to our order of service here in the live stream feed. And if you'd like to receive the order of service, please sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Flame. You'll find the link for that in the order of service and in the live stream feed. It's a way to get connected and more familiar with our congregation and our programs that we have to offer. And again, we hope you join us for the Zoom coffee hour following the service. You'll find the link for that in the order of service. And Joe Chapeau will be posting that in the chat on our live stream feed. You'll find many offerings and opportunities listed in our order of service, opportunities to connect, to learn, to practice together while in the company of others in our community. So we invite you to read through the many offerings and join as many to you that are interesting. But I wanna draw attention to a few to this morning. Um, I first want to mention our connections form. Uh, you'll find a link again for the or in the order of service. And the connections form is a way for us to hear about what you're interested in being a part of in the church. And so if you want to fill that out, our connections coordinator, Susie Bernahola, will be following up with you to help you get acquainted with our congregation and to help you kind of find opportunities that are feeling that would feel right to you. So please take a look at that. I also want to encourage you to attend our next Spirit Saturday, which will be Saturday, February 27th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. It's a great chance to spend a couple of hours with members of our community in three interactive workshops that you can sign up for. One will be led by our inter ministerial intern, Meg McGuire, entitled Body and Spirit. And Mari Magaloni, a church member, will be leading one called Quilting Bee. This is a workshop for black indigenous people of color and we're very excited to have this offering for this coming Spirit Saturday. And I'll be offering one called I Do Believe. There are many more offerings. John Burens has two classes that he's gonna be doing. We have weekly meditation and yoga. So please take a look and please take part. Our next new UU class that's coming up in February is full, but we've added another one in April and you'll find a link for that as well. New UU is a chance for folks who are new to our congregation to get to know more about Unitarian Universalism and get to know us. So we'd hope you take part in that and please check out our very our wide variety of adult spiritual growth classes you can find in the order of service and on our website. Finally, I want to remind you about the All Church uh, auction that has started. The, the silent auction opened on Friday and will continue through next Thursday. So bidding is open, so please go check it out. And you can join us for the live auction that's gonna be happening on Friday, February 5th. But to learn more about the auction, we've invited auctioneer Gary Lorenzen to tell us more. Hello, my name is Gary Lorenzen, and I am here to remind you that UUSF's silent online auction is happening now, and it's going to end on February 4th. So make sure you get on there now and get yourself something. The next night, February 5th, is gonna be our online live 
auction, February 5th, 7 o'clock. I know you'd like to register for this event, and here's how you do it. Go to our website, uusf.org. Once you're on there, register and plan on attending our event. It is going to be a blast. And did I mention it's free? Our night is going to be filled with a live auction. We're going to be giving away prizes, but you have to be logged on to get these prizes. Our live auction has incredible things, including a week in France, a trip to Hawaii. That's why I'm wearing the shirt, Hawaiian themed. Then we're also going to have getaways to Tahoe, Gold Country, Monterey Bay, Mendocino, Boriego Springs, a sale on the bay, all of that is in the live auction. So please make sure you register and attend our event. It benefits our church that we love and allows them to do the incredible work that they do. I will be your MC slash auctioneer for the evening, and I cannot wait to see you there. Thank you. Now please join me in our spoken covenant and sung doxology. The words are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its prayer. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in freedom and to help one another.
Recognizing there is human suffering all over this world in the course of natural and human catastrophes. We ring our gong today in honor of two such places of suffering and struggle. We ring our gong first as we have since July of 2019 for those lives held and those lives lost in federal custody in our detention camps for the mounting trauma to children separated from their families, to all people held without charges in less than transparent or humane circumstances in this repeat of some of the most shameful chapters in our nation's and our world's history of xenophobia, racism, and greed. We ring the gong seven times for this week of days for which we bear responsibility as citizens for wrongs done in our names. We ring our gong additionally once for the losses this week to COVID-19. This last week, 102,258 people died of COVID-19 globally. 22,808 in the United States alone. We hold in our hearts all of those losses and also all who continue to risk their lives to provide essential service, those who suffer from loss of job, whose lives are especially vulnerable to the disease, and all whose isolation and struggle through grief and loneliness is harder the longer this pandemic continues. So much to remember and to hold. May we keep those we have named and their loved ones in our thoughts and in our prayers and may we ease the tide of human suffering this week, howsoever we can.
Let us join hearts and minds in a time of spoken and silent prayer and reflection. These words from Thich Nhat Hanh. Let us be at peace with our bodies and our minds. Let us return to ourselves and become wholly ourselves. Let us be aware of the source of being common to us all and to all living things. Evoking the presence of great compassion, let us fill our hearts with our own compassion towards ourselves and towards all living beings. Let us pray that we ourselves cease to be the cause of suffering to each other. With humility, with awareness of the existence of life, and of the suffering that are going on around us. Let us practice the establishment of peace in our hearts and on earth. Join me now in a time of silence and meditation. Amen.
When I was a kid, I was a really picky eater. For dinner, I had chicken, rice, and broccoli pretty much every night for years. Sure, sometimes I'd go out to a restaurant, have a pad thai or something, but generally, same old, same old. That didn't change until the end of high school when I became vegetarian. It wasn't any ideological shift or anything. The thing that finally made me cut out meat was when my sister showed me how to prepare tofu that didn't taste bad. After that, I started cooking more on my own. I started enjoying what I was eating more. Just because I ate chicken and rice every night didn't mean I particularly liked it. it that was just what I was used to. I stopped being so picky and I started being willing to try basically anything as long as it was vegetarian. Not just tofu, but also tempeh and beans and all sorts of veggies and grains. You haven't lived until you've tried some good amaranth. Whenever I go back to Oregon to visit family, my sister's cooking is always something that I look forward to. I'm not just talking about Thanksgiving, though she does make her own fake turkey from scratch and it's great. Sometimes it's something simple, like she might leave for work before I get up, but when I go down to the kitchen, I'll find an egg in a frame, along with a note and a little smiley face on it saying when she'll be back. When she makes a dinner, even when she says that it's going to be simple, it's always delicious and healthy, like a vegan macaroni and cheese that you would swear had real cheese in it, along with a huge salad. Sometimes she'll count up the number of different veggies in a dinner, and the number goes well over a dozen. When we were kids, our mom would make us a cranberry cobbler as a dessert. We actually don't even have the recipe typed up anywhere. It's handwritten on a piece of paper. The paper itself is yellowed with age and maybe a couple coffee stains. It's torn unevenly, kind of like a corner of a page, and then it curves around just a little bit. Kind of like the thing where maybe our mom asked her mom for the recipe a few decades ago, and she was in the middle of something and just kind of hurriedly wrote it down and then got back to whatever she was doing. And it's a little tart and it's a little sweet, and any time my sister makes it, I don't care how much she makes, I can always put it all away. With COVID, I haven't had my sister's cooking in a year, but for my birthday, she sent me some homemade melt-in-your-mouth sweets, some little sugar and mint and maple cubes. She has a big backyard, and she sent me some homegrown shiso. She went shopping for some local Oregon jams and nuts and sweets and threw those in, too. When the pandemic is over, some people are making plans to go to the theater or travel the world. But me? I just want a good home-cooked meal. <laughs> when lonely feelings chill the meadows of your mind Just think if winter comes can spring be far behind Beneath the deepest snows the secret of a is merely that it knows you must believe in spring. Just as a tree is sure its leaves will reappear, it knows its emptiness is just a time of year. The frozen mountain dreams 
of April's melting streams. How crystal clear it seems you must believe in spring. You must believe in spring and trust it's on its way. Just as the sleeping rose awaits the kiss of May. So in a world of snow, of things that come and go, where what you think you know you can't be certain of, must believe in spring and must believe in love and trust it's on its way. Just as the sleeping rose awaits the kiss of May. So in a world of snow, of things that come and go, where what you think you know you can't be certain of, must believe in spring and love. Our first reading is Why Is It Good to Be Alive? This is an excerpt from Philosophical Provocations by Colin McGinn. Imagine if the universe actually had a soul. Would it not long to create a knowing being that could observe and think about it? What if planet Earth hosted evolved species, but none of them had any cognitive capacity, so that nothing of the Earth ever became known to anyone? It sounds so utterly pointless, so futile, so dead. The very existence of the universe would remain completely unknown, just a giant, brute fact, signifying nothing, signified by nothing, its being would be to not be perceived. Its reality would go utterly unheeded. It seems then that a universe that is known is better than a universe that is not known. The former is a better state of affairs than the latter, even if it's hard to see what knowledge does for the knower. So it is good to be alive for the universe, if not for the one who is alive. Mere being is no reason to be. We don't like to think of ourselves as useless and unknown, and we extend the same sentiment to the universe. A universe without cognizing life in it seems like an enormous waste of time and effort, a pointless joke and ontological blunder. So when we consider the universe and our place in it, 
we can tell ourselves that we confer value on it simply by being aware of it. We save it from the fate of existing pointlessly. It is good to be alive because we give meaning to the life in the universe. Our life has value insofar as it gives value to something other than us. So ends our first reading. Our second reading is a poem by the poet John Calderazzo from his book, The Exact Weight of the Soul. The poem is called Waking Up Near Mount Richthofen. Through aspens, the peak lights up with overnight so snow. The sky will likely breathe back into itself by noon. Its granite flanks shine like a gold tablet on which I can inscribe the brand new plot of my life, provided I pay attention. Down here in the loitering dark, I shiver cross-legged on a log, hands jammed into my pockets, alpine grasses crunched low with frost. You never know when a moose or a wolf wandering down from Wyoming will shimmer out of the forest. I cup my hands around the hissing stove, water boiling for coffee that will taste bitter, but God, so warm. Ten minutes ago, I crawled from the pouch of the zipped together bags where Sue Ellen and the dogs sleep on call me crazy or ask, what's the rush? My mother used to do that. When a kid on Long Island, I'd sprint out first thing on a Saturday morning, then wonder where all my friends were. What are they waiting for, I thought. What are they doing? Don't they want to catch the first snow?
I read a series of essays called Starting Over. Twelve writers shared their reflections on life in a post-pandemic world. The one that stayed with me is entitled, I Will Never Bail on My Friends Again, by Maeve Higgins. Here's what she says. I finished television during the pandemic and started on movies. Now I'm almost finished with those too. My hips have locked in a supine position and my eyes are as dry as a bone, but I persist. What else is there to do? Aside from a snatched walk here and there or a chilly drink on a Brooklyn sidewalk, I haven't had any new experiences with my friends for many, many months now. Instead, I've been turning over memories of old experiences with them, like treasures found at the bottom of the ocean. Like everyone in New York, my friends and I are scattered physically and mentally. I swear from this day forth, I will never let their messages pile up and I will always answer the calls. I'll be there when they're dull and downhearted and have nothing much to say because I'm like that now and they still love me. By this time next year, it will be safe to see one another again. I'm going to hug my friends and pinch their cheeks and lean on them like a heavily, like a heavy, one of those heavy big dogs that rescues people from the snow. I'm not generally a party person, but next year I will make everybody celebrate my birthday. In fact, I will make everybody celebrate everything. You got a root canal and you were able to pay for it? You got a long, extra long receipt from CVS? Meet me at the Wooden Horse Carousel in Brooklyn Ridge Bridge, baby. I'm sick of us being lone bullfrogs on solitary lily pads. It is so much better when we are a big croaking chorus carousing around the city. I understand a little bit better now why it's called making friends. It's an effort and a choice and it's something that is never really finished. But really, there is no silver lining or hidden message in this for me. I just really miss my friends. We hear you, Maeve. We are all croaking from our safe distance lily pads, aching to make connections, eager to join the chorus, bake some bread and break some bread, party and celebrate every small wonder that comes our way. We are eager to know the world and feel alive in it. When we went back into lockdown on December 3rd, it felt to me like we fell into a collective funk. Holiday celebrations were dashed instead of wintering season cuddled up under warm covers. We were tossed a wet blanket. It had to be done. It was the right and the safe thing to do. 
But just as we got a glimpse of coming out from under, we needed to retreat. And that felt hard. After a few sullen days, I tossed off my wet blanket and started to take walks, stopping often to look at the trees, many of them bare, the branches thin and fragile. When deciduous trees lose their leaves, it's called abscission. To our eyes, the tree looks like a skeleton, barely alive. But as writer Catherine May says, the tree is waiting. It has everything ready. Its fallen leaves are mulching the forest floor and its roots are drying up the extra winter moisture, providing a firm anchor against the seasonal storms. Its ripe cones and nuts are providing essential food and scarce times for animals. Its bark is hosting habitat, habit, hibernating insects and providing a source of nourishment for hungry deer. It is far from dead. It is, in fact, the life and soul of the wood. It's just getting on with it quietly. It will not burst into life in the spring. It will just put on a new coat and face the world again. Taking in the trees, noticing the soft, furry coats of the buds forming on the branches, I began to feel something stir inside. I only know to describe it as a deep desire to feel alive. But it felt counter to what was being asked of us in the moment, to stay put, to cover up and keep our distance. These days, Staying alive is serious business, remains serious business, and we are far from out of the woods. But this doesn't mean we can't find ways, make ways that help us feel alive. We each can fashion a new coat, step out and engage the world and let the world get to know us. In late December, I reconnected with an old high school friend. She sent me the poetry book, The Exact Weight of the Soul. The poet, John Calderazzo, had been a creative writing teacher of hers in college. I began reading one of his poems each day, learning through them that he had suffered the ravages of alcoholism and likely depression but it was through his writing and his deep love of nature that saved him. But I'll let his words tell the story. This is from a poem called Mount St. Helen. If I'd only known the basement philosophy of volcano, volcanoes, that sooner or later everything comes unstuck and moves in a deep time stew, Convecting beyond my life and your life, beyond evacuation and life of country or culture, except for the culture of constant change and renewal. Maybe that volcano dust began to work on me. 
He ends the poem this way. Packed down in shields of devastation, loosed and finally opened to the sun as I have since then, having learned to slow down and travel far, having learned to sit in the new light of the smoke mountains and others, Mount Pele, Soufriere Hills, Redoubt, Vesuvius, Etna, which let me watch and feel how time's snapped bones re-knit, how so many kinds of gray can turn green. In times of momentous devastation and disruption, it's hard to believe that life will return, that out of smoke and ash, out of rivers of gray, there will be green. Over these long months moving through spring, summer, fall, and winter, we've struggled to find ways to come alive, especially in the midst of so much death and destruction. We worry about our families, our neighbors, our friends, our communities. How do we muster the strength to fashion ourselves a new coat and face the world again? I believe the answer is to envision ourselves as artists and craft makers, shaping our lives, deepening our sense of knowing as Vanessa spoke about last week and as in this morning's reading reminded us. Out of knowing and making, deeply rooted in connection, we find the holy, those places where we find meaning, understanding, hope, those places, those people, those poems that help us touch down and connect with the tender spot that lives inside each of us. I wish that the suffering and destruction brought on by a mad tyrant and the destruction of a pandemic was just a bad dream. But out of it, I believe that we are each aching to be alive, to feel alive and bring something new into the world. Makoto Fujimura, artist, painter, writer, and I would say theologian believes that to be alive means to be a maker. In his new book, Art and Faith, The Theology of Making, we encounter a personal story about meaning and making. Fujimura is a Christian, and his art is rooted in both ancient painting traditions of Japan and his Christian faith. And while our theologies differ in certain ways, Fujimura's, Fujimura's story has something to offer us. For him, the biblical story, particularly in the Gospels, is not a story of endings, but new beginnings. He writes, the true and lasting understanding of the Gospel is not whether we can recite our creeds or even are able to convey the information of the Gospel to others. The ultimate understanding of the gospel is what we make and what we love with what we know, 
or that deepest realm of knowledge that is garnered through our making. This is the deepest cultivation of the soil of our minds and culture. Now, I believe that Unitarian Universalists share a similar belief, that meaning is not found in reciting creeds, but in what we make individually and collectively. We are justice makers, peace makers, makers of beloved community. We can't just be about making for purposes of usefulness, but to deepen our understanding of knowing the world. Fujimura writes, being alive is rooted in how we get to know the world around us and then make something of it. A friend recently told me a story about his creation of something he calls parallel play. My friend is a body worker who, due to COVID restrictions, is unable to make a living right now. With his life upended, he went about making a way to keep connected to, and, so to be connected and feel creative. He meets virtually with a friend. They have a brief check-in and then spend 30 minutes making something. The sound is off. Each is in their own makerspace. One quilts, the other plays the clarinet. One writes, the other strums a ukulele. After 30 minutes, they come back together and share a bit about what happened in their creative encounter. The time is not about fixing something, but making something. It is an intimate encounter. The aim is to connect with what's alive in which as the aim is to commit the <laughs> the aim is to connect with what's alive in you as you make i love this story shortly after i had a conversation with our own Shannon Warto where i began to imagine what types of parallel play we might make here and so with permission i share her story during this time of COVID, my typically jammed, packed calendar suddenly became empty. No more performances, no more gatherings with friends or family in person. A time of deep reflection. In the slowing down, I explored the realm only accessible to me, the realm of my spirit. And so I got to know my soul better I had a heartbreakingly honest and beautiful recollection with my body, and I tapped into exquisite intuition. I joined a program by Justin Michaels Williams called Liberation Experience, diving into the powerful and important work for racial equity and justice, and the internal changes I need to implement to practice allyship for the black indigenous people of color community and recognizing that this is lifelong work. 
I became part of a revolutionary leadership community called Badass Engagement, which cuts to the truth of our own unique individual gifts that we bring to the world, empowering us to be the leaders of our own lives, which ripples out to all areas within it, our businesses, relationships, passions, communities, and purpose. I've implemented a daily meditation practice that allows me to connect with the mystery of the universe and takes me higher every day. I've written songs and books and have enhanced my fledgling guitar skills. I've witnessed grave traumatic events and felt them to my core, opening up spaces to express my full emotional range. I feel more alive than ever before and aim to make meaning of the trauma I experience so that I might move through it and grow and acknowledge that I have not experienced the same degree of oppression as other beloved members of my global community. I'm so moved by Shannon's story, the depth of the discovery and the aliveness that she's found in being part of the liberation experience. Out of the ash, new life breaks through. I often liken church to being a maker space so-called makerspaces focus on design and are dedicated to hands-on creativity. Yes, I would say that we are committed and energized in the hands-on work of making, but the kind of making we seek to do goes a bit deeper, maybe something more akin to a badass engagement. There is a Hebrew word, bara which could translate to mean the quality of our making, what we bring to it, not just our hands, but our hearts too. The making isn't about technical expertise. It's not just about fixing things. Our makerspace seeks to bring people into an encounter where something opens up, something comes alive. Our aim is not to multitask, says Fujimura, but to multi-love, to be co-creators in loving the world. So much of our making is about seeing and noticing, sinking into the holy ground of our being and attending to what breaks open and what breaks in. Bahra theology is about the encounter of making which demands intimacy and vulnerability as well as intellect and wisdom. When we make justice, make democracy, make community, make music, take our mother's beloved recipe and make her famous cranberry cobbler, when we make time to be with our friends, we bring Bara into the mix. Bara theology is a way of seeing the world rooted in encounters that are reparative, regenerative, and alive.
Theologies are like ecosystems. Some die, some thrive. A thriving, multi-loving maker theology and a sustainable ecosystem need to be fed and nurtured, given time to grow and root itself. We need to understand and respect that life has a cyclical nature from birth, growth, and death, and then rebirth. Each day we are given the gift to come alive and make it anew. We are slowly making our way out of our wintering season. Small signs are all around us. Our life, says Colin McGinn, has a value insofar as it gives value to something other than ourselves. It's nearing time when we can begin to imagine jumping free from our locked down lily pads, waking up to what's alive and see what the world wants to know of us. Oh, my dear ones, let's make something of it. Let us hold on to this, the enduring of love, the persisting of hope, the remembering of joy, the offering of gratitude, the receiving of grace, and the blessings of peace. Go in peace.
work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org.